Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. So welcome to the Truth Talks podcast and for joining us on the Captivated by Jesus series. So my name is Lance Pepler. Uh, I'm not Dr. Christopher Pepler, who's the normal host of this podcast, um, but I will be doing some interviews as part of the Captivated by Jesus series. And we thought that would be a great way of just interacting with different people, well-known church leaders from South Africa and around the world. And we start today um, by having none other than Alexander Fenter join us from Durban, which is fantastic. And a little bit about Alexander is that he's been in the ministry since January 1975, when he became a church planter and pastor. He has planted and pastored churches in Zimbabwe, Cape Town, Johannesburg, and Soweto. And so Alexander has always based his teaching on Matthew 13, 44 to 52. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a person finds the treasure, they joyfully go and sell all that they have in order to buy the field, to explore and share the treasure. His passion is to make the treasures of the kingdom available to all who want to follow Jesus, praying that God will use them for spiritual formation towards Christ-likeness in order to equip people for effective life and ministry in God's kingdom. His personal life mission is to follow Jesus, which is great, and make followers of him, learning to live a life of love just as Jesus loved us. So welcome to the podcast, Alexander. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Lance, and lovely to be with you and all your guests. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining So, Alexander, I've got a a set of questions that I'm going to ask all the the people that we interview during the series. And the first one is, how did you become a believer? Could you maybe share with the listeners how you encountered Jesus and, and, you know, what the process was like for you? Uh, Thank you, Lance. Well, um, I was raised in a non-Christian home. We didn't go to church and uh, my my folks... um, were basically, I, I would guess, agnostic. Um, although my father's Afrikaans and from a traditional uh, um, Afrikaans church background, but we weren't active church members. So I didn't really know much about Jesus until at school, at high school, Cambridge High School is London. A young guy in my class, David Ganetsky, uh, who is currently a, a pastor in East London, but he spoke to me about Jesus, and uh, I was so ignorant, I had to ask him all sorts of questions as to who this man was, and it took about six months of him talking to me about Jesus, and then they invited me to the First Baptist Church Youth um, Meeting in East London, and Uncle Rex Matthew was the pastor, the senior minister at uh, First Baptist Church East London. And yeah, one Friday night, he, he preached Rex Matthew and uh, to all the youth. And I just felt a prompting in my heart. It's time to give my life to Jesus. So I raised my hand and when he asked for those who wanted to give their lives to Christ. And I went forward and, was, and, I, and he prayed with me. And that was a massive turning point. I really just, that actually, I'm one of those people, Lance, who can give a date. So it was the 7th of June. 1968, and uh, a weight lifted off my shoulders, and I felt inwardly somehow clean and different and excited, and my journey with Jesus began. Hmm. 
Fantastic. Thank you, Alexander. Now, this series is about Jesus, um, and that's fantastic, obviously. But uh, can I ask you, when I mention the word Jesus to you um, and, and Jesus specifically, how do you feel about that? What do you think of Jesus, um, both intellectually and, and emotionally even? Um, you know, what's your response to Jesus? Well, um, great question. <laughs> Before I became a follower of Jesus, if you had mentioned Jesus to me in my young teenage years, I probably would have been very indifferent and perhaps a little curious. But now, after all these years, since 1968, of basically being a follower of Jesus, now if you mention Jesus to me, I must say, uh, emotionally, it just makes me all warm and soft and tender inside, where I just have such a deep sense of respect and admiration for that young man from Nazareth, that young 30-year-old rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, and uh, who is risen and alive by his spirit in me. But um, So emotionally, I just relate to him and love him, honor and respect him. And intellectually, I really just am um, so engaged with who he was 2,000 years ago in terms of his, the, the man of history, Jesus, the historical Jesus, living in his context with such unbelievable presence of mind with a deep sense of identity and destiny in God's kingdom to bring God's kingdom and salvation to Israel, um, and with all that he went through. So intellectually, I am just pursuing the studies of the historical Jesus to get to know him better. And as intellectually, one is, is so deeply stimulated by this man through the Gospels and other literature that uh, the more I know him intellectually and understand him in his context, the more emotionally I cannot but fall in love with him and admire him at ever deeper levels. Mm, that's amazing. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, so part of the, the interviews that we're doing is obviously looking at Jesus and his role in the local church. Now, you've been a church planter and a pastor for many years, like I mentioned, January 1975. And so, Alexander, what role do you think Jesus has uh, in the church uh, in generally? What is his role? Well, Lance, I would say <laughs> there is the role that Jesus ought to have in the local church. And then there is the role that Jesus does have in the local church by kind of a default experience of current contemporary Christianity. So what Jesus, the role that Jesus ought to have in the local church, biblically, is that, yes, he, he, he is head over the church. And because he is head over the church, the church has, has been bought with his precious blood, and he is risen and ascended into the heavens and is head over the church. His Holy Spirit is Lord within the church, in the church, and Jesus is Lord over the church. So therefore, Jesus should be center, the heart, the heartbeat and the mind of the church. And by the autonomic 
nervous system, as it were, of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so the spirit of Jesus in the church makes Jesus central to the church, giving us the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ, the compassion of Christ. Uh, that is what ought to be, what is, in my estimation and evaluation of contemporary Christianity and and generally in local church, is that is far from the case. And that uh, we live, I think, with a lot of mixed um, wheat and weeds and a lot of uh, a mixed uh, theology and mixed praxis of local church where Jesus is not really the center and the Holy Spirit is not really the coordination of the indwelling presence of God in his church. Um, so we don't really have and exercise the mind of Christ, and we don't really have and exercise the heart of compassion and mercy of grace that Jesus exercised. So there's a lot one can talk about in terms of what we could say is the experience in local church today versus biblic the biblical vision of Jesus and his church. Yeah, I'm, I wanted to ask you that, Alexander, but why do you think that is? Because it seems obvious that Jesus should be the center, just like you were explaining. Why do you think that isn't the case? Why, why do you think that a lot of churches don't have Jesus at its center? Well, I think that we, we obviously all are broken human beings. We are sinners saved by grace, declared to be saints through the blood of Christ. So we live in this this uh, eschatological or kingdom tension of sinners that are saved and we are saints that are not yet perfected. And this tension means that we have all sorts of mixed motives still and brokenness unresolved in our lives and that the church is a divine um, organism instituted by Jesus through his death and resurrection and outpoured Holy Spirit, but it is equally also a very human and earthly institution. Mm. So this divine reality of the church, born of Christ and the Spirit, and the very human reality of broken human beings that make up the church and form it and lead it and create policies and structures and have meetings, that, I think, for me, accounts for this, uh, this very mixed experience that we do have. So therefore, depending on local leadership and lo uh, local philosophy of ministry, how, how local leaders do church, mm. that um, for me largely determines whether Jesus is act in actuality, in real terms, center of the church, or he is the center and the life of the church, or whether he's marginalized to different degrees and in which ways he's marginalized. So as an example, unresolved ego needs in leaders mean that there is a lot of posturing of personality mm. and selfish ambition. And often churches are built around not the dynamic of the invisible presence of Jesus by his indwelling Holy Spirit, but the dynamics of church are built around the personality, the charisma of the preacher the, the, the extent of the greatly uh, service-oriented type uh, 
church to meet the needs of the people and all sorts of other dynamics of so-called human excellence that draw people and make church function. So Lance, just briefly for me, if I had to put it this way, in the book of Revelation chapter 3, 20, Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice, I'll come in and I will sup with them. And so Jesus is writing to a church through John, the revelator, and he's writing to that whole church. And he says, essentially, to put it in, in modern terms, he says, hey, you guys on the inside there, can anyone hear me? I'm knocking. <laughs> yeah. This is my church. I've bought this church with my blood. It belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you elders or to you people. Let me back into my church. If you open the door and let me come back into my church and give me the reins of my church and let me rule and reign and lead this church and be the center of the church, then we will have true koinonia together, shared life. We'll have Trinitarian life and the power of the Spirit and the kingdom will fill this church and overflow through this church into the world around it, being a fundamentalist, a fundamental catalyst for change in the world around it. So I, I think we've locked, we've marginalized Jesus. And in many churches, Jesus is standing outside the church, knocking, trying to get back in. And the church continues, business as usual, was it's built around every other dynamic other than the manifest presence of Jesus. Church, local church ought to be such that if Jesus is not manifestly present, everything collapses and we should face reality and close church and go home and have coffee. <laughs> yeah. Because church is about the reality of the indwelling presence of the king. Now, saying Jesus should be the center of the church, it, you know, it's easy to say that, but I think more difficult to actually implement. Um, and you, you've been you know, a pastor, and I, I, I'm presuming now that you've always tried, or maybe you haven't, but maybe you've always tried to you know, have Jesus as the center of the churches that you've been the pastor of. How, how have you tried to do that? What have, what have you put in place to try and... Um, make sure that Jesus was at the center of everything that happened in the church from the worship to the preaching to all aspects of the church. Again, very uh, penetrating question because when it gets to practicalities, one could list a lot of things, but I guess Lance essentially over the years, the longer I've planted and pastored churches and the more I understand and know Jesus personally, the more I've come to an understanding to continually hold up the vision of Jesus before the people. Mm. So through my preaching and teaching and the diet that I feed into the church, I watch what I teach. I try to avoid teaching my pet doctrines. I try to avoid teaching kind of esoteric, interesting, motivational stuff but continually come back to holding up a vision of Jesus consistently before the minds of the people, that they see Jesus ever more clearly for who he is. And the, the, the more clearer we see Jesus progressively, the more deeply we fall in love with him, and the more meaningfully we are transformed into his image from one degree, 
one degree of glory to another. So for me, a primary thing of leaders, I have always said uh, from the Great Commission, where it says, when they saw Jesus on the mountain in Matthew 28, it says, when they saw Jesus on the mountain, he told them to go. When they saw him, they bowed down and worshipped him. Mm. So the clearer we see Jesus, the more it just draws from us deeper levels of surrender in true worship. And then we collaborate with his authority because he said, all authority is given to me, go and make disciples. So for me, it's seeing Jesus and upholding the vision of Jesus. Then it is making disciples of Jesus. Church is not to make church members. Church is not to make converts. Church is to make passionate, disciplined learners of Jesus. And I can only make disciples to the extent I myself am a disciple. So spiritual authority in real terms, not, not, you know, not, it's not notional terms as in a theological idea, but in real tangible terms. Spiritual authority operates to the extent I myself am a disciple of Jesus. I can point people to Jesus as the center and the heartbeat of their lives and of their finances, of their sexuality, of their thought life, of their work life, of their marriage and family, and Jesus as the center of the church. I can only impart that which I am becoming personally by having Jesus the center of my own heart and life and marriage and leadership and philosophy of ministry as a senior pastor. So that for me also then converts into worship. I worship around me, myself, and I. So the feel-good gospel of Western therapy is a lot about how do I feel? Was worship nice? And we measure it by feelings of wonderful, warm fuzzies. (laughs) And the gospel we we preach is of self-improvement. Whereas, of course, worship must be focused not on me and my needs and my healing, but on Jesus and his glorious kingdom and all that he has done for us. And so worship, therefore, and the, the, the kind of songs we sing. So I've worked with worship teams to focus on Jesus. I've worked with sermons to keep coming back to and focusing and refocusing on Jesus. Yeah. And then also, I think, through lived life and spiritual practices. So the corporate prayer meeting, corporate worship, corporate ministry to the poor, all the motivation is to keep pointing to Jesus and hopefully together listening to Jesus and his agenda for this church because Jesus has a dream and a a calling for each local church and the extent to which the leaders truly listen to Jesus by his Holy Spirit and implement the vision God has for that church, then I believe it will be Jesus-focused and Jesus-centered, and less leadership-focused, and leader-centered. I hope it makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Um, I want to ask you, Alexander, another question around that, and maybe from your experience uh, of leading churches, the Holy Spirit, you know, you'll pour out His blessing on a church, and enable a church, empower a church, just like individuals, and I, I guess, do you think that the Holy Spirit would be more active and, and pour more of his spirit and power onto churches that are focusing on Jesus than those that sort of don't? Um, and that, that's the first part of my question. And the second part is, 
how do you think that actually looks? Like a Holy Spirit blessing a church. Um, how, how have you seen that play out in churches that you've led? Um, so that, it's a twofold question, really. Um, maybe you can give some input into that. Yeah, look, I, I think that the Jesus expressly taught in, in John uh, uh, 14 to, to, to 16 before he was crucified that uh, he was departing so that he could give the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, to live in them. And he continually said that when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself her or herself. Of course, Ruach in the Old Testament, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of the Holy One, in Hebrew, Ruach is, is consistently a feminine noun. Mm. Numa in the Greek New Testament is neuter. It's neither masculine nor feminine in the context we understand. So therefore, when I refer to the spirit, Hebraically, it's not only he, but she. But that's just as an aside. The Holy Spirit that comes from Jesus will speak of Christ and glorify Christ and bring us the things of Christ and reveal the things of Christ to us, etc. So if we truly lift up Jesus, Jesus himself said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And I assume that is by the power of the Spirit. So the the more we lift up Jesus in worship and the words in our worship and it all glorifies him and not ourselves or our needs or whatever, the more we preach and teach Jesus and lift him up and then I think the, the Holy Spirit just automatically is poured out uh, because Jesus said that when I'm lifted up and I ascend, then I will pour out the Spirit upon you. So the more we glorify Christ and lift them up, the natural um, consequence is the outpouring of the Spirit with great joy and speaking in tongues like at Pentecost. Mm. I believe that the gift of tongues was a joyful overflow of the kingship of Jesus, his coronation in heaven. The coronation of Christ at the right hand of the ascended Christ, at the right hand of the Father, was manifest on earth with this intoxicating new wine of overflowing joy in all different languages to reach all nations with the good news that Jesus is king. And Jesus reigns. He rules and reigns over sin and sickness, and demons, and death, and pain, and poverty, and injustice, and his kingdom has come, it is coming, and it will come. And so, for me, what it looks like um, practically is that uh, in Paul's theology in Galatians, when he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, long-suffering, self-control, etc., He uses the singular fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of Christ. So when when we lift up Jesus and make him center, the evidence of the Holy Spirit just filling the church and using the church, for me, is is this fully orbed character of Christ and the fully orbed grace of Christ, the gifts of the Spirit. So you have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the character of Jesus, and then the gifts of the Spirit, the charisma, charismata of the Holy Spirit, which is the power of Christ, the character of Christ and the power of Christ by the Spirit. So gifts of healings, faith, miracles, discerning of spirits, knowledge, wisdom, 
um, all of the gifts of the Spirit together with this qualitative Christ-likeness that progressively is evident among Christians in the local church. Love, people of love, joy, peace, patience. That then just overflows for me. And the mark, the ultimate fruit or ultimate mark of a truly spirit-filled, Christ-centered church is missions. That we gossip the gospel (laughs) and people come to know Jesus. And that actually we become agents of change in the community around us, both where we are in four ways, where you are, (laughs) then in Gauteng, then South Africa, then Africa, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So I think there are very clear fruit or characteristics that we can point to by saying this church evidently has Jesus relatively, but it's all relative, at the center. And is it truly, because Jesus is at the center, it is a spirit-filled church because of these following characteristics that we see. And it's holistic. It's not one-dimensional. You know, Lance, in closings, I think some people think if we make Jesus as the center, then it's all about just Jesus and me and my forgiveness of sins to get me a ticket into heaven. And it's this personal evangelical gospel of Jesus and me. But it's not. It's a holistic gospel that includes justice. It includes forgiveness of sins. It includes healing of the emotions as well as healing of the body. It includes church planting and missions and social transformation. It is a holistic gospel of holistic engagement for holistic transformation, not only of the individual, but of the, com- of the church and the community and the nation. And that, for me, is the mature result of a truly Jesus-centered church that will then be a spiritual church. Wow, wonderful. And Alexander, since you've been a pastor um, you know, from 1975, like we've mentioned, have there been times during when you were the pastor of a church that you've specifically seen the Holy Spirit being poured out more than others? And maybe could you like just give us a... An example or recount some parts of, of your, uh, when you were a pastor and how you've seen the Holy Spirit pour out on the church that you've been a pastor of. Good. Um, thank you, Lance. I'm happy to do that. So I, I, I would say what comes to mind is that um, if I look back on the years of ministry, which has been 46 years of full-time church planting and pastoring now, mm. um, clearly there have been different seasons of the Holy Spirit breaking through, being poured out in fresh and new ways. And uh, I could describe one or two of them, but what I have learned over the years is that when the Spirit breaks through among us and stuff starts happening, the temptation or the danger becomes that what is manifested, what starts happening and taking place, um, becomes the new thing that then we build our church practice praxis around, mm. and then we justify theologically, and it becomes our new little idol that we worship, as opposed to remaining Jesus-focused and centered and letting the Holy Spirit, who is the wind of God, the breath of the resurrection, that blows here and there. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going. 
but those who are born of the spirit of the people of the wind, who feel the wind moving this way, then moving that way. And for me, the only predictable thing about the Holy Spirit is that he or she is unpredictable. Yeah. Because we've, in my ministry experience, the spirit broke out in the early 80s within my own heart and among friends around me. And we were taken into Soweto out of a, out of a deep conviction of being born under apartheid as white people on the side of privilege and power and the need to go and find our black brother and sister and reconcile with them in, the, in a profoundly, deeply divided, hateful society in the early 1980s. And so for 12 years, I was involved in Soweto. When I look back on that, I tell you, Lawrence, that can only have been a real move of the Holy Spirit because it was what we did was beyond our natural ability, beyond our natural protection. There were so many situations in which I saw the evidence of the sovereign hand of, of God. On the other hand, the Spirit, when He moves, it's manifest in justice and social engagement for transformation. But on the other hand, I've had seasons of healings and wonderful manifestations and signs and wonders of the Spirit that once again, in retrospect, was way beyond my own level of faith, my own experience as a pastor. And sometimes I would stand and people would be crying and wow. crying out to God, and I'd be looking around the wall and scratching my head and saying, Lord, I don't understand, but I just know it's you, and it's beautiful and wonderful, and I'm not going to put my fingerprints on it. I'm just going to stand back and let God be God. So I've learned that the Spirit moves in different ways at different times, but the danger in church life is then we make this healing, healing move of the Spirit, the thing that begins to define the church. And we have to be extremely careful. Jesus and the kingdom is the lens through which we see all the holistic dimensions of the gospel. Yeah. If you make the one part, the whole, then you become a social activist church. Or you become a healing church. Or you become a spiritual, spiritual formation church, a holiness church. Or you become an evangelistic church. Or you become a church planning church because you make the one dimension into the whole and then you actually lose it and it's no longer Jesus focused. So to be Jesus focused is to hold all the different aspects of the gospel in tension and let God be God and the spirit moves this way, then that way, then this way, then that way, according to what is needed at different times in the life of the church. Wow. I hope that helps. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely helps. And the last question, Alexander, is, and I, I'm trying not to put my own thinking into these interviews, but and maybe I, from my experience, some, you know, when I go to churches, a lot of people are there as sort of spectators uh, and, you know, and, and often just, you know, come to church and not being involved intimately with worship and pushing out and trying to, you know, reach out to Jesus and experience Jesus. Maybe for the last question is, what do you think churches could do that are actively trying to, you know, be Jesus focused? What can they put into place that can encourage their people 
to, to worship Jesus and experience Jesus in the services? Well, again, it's a good question. I think um, for me, your question assumes an expression of church um, that needs to perhaps be commented on. Um, so New Testament-wise, the essential gathering point of the church was in the homes. Mm. And then the home churches used to gather in Solomon's portico in the temple in Jerusalem as a public celebration or gathering of the small groups. They broke bread from house to house. And Paul in Acts 20 says to the church at Ephesus, I, I, I met with you in the homes teaching the scriptures, but then when we also publicly gathered, and Paul in Corinthians speaks about the church in the home and the public gathering. So when we meet on Sundays as church, it's more of a passive experience of the people because it's a larger meeting of 100, 200, 500 people. And so worship is facilitated from the platform. But how then to get people to engage in that worship? I think we can mix worship up to get our people actively engaged and not passively receiving. Mm. And so perhaps in worship is to... Um, um, and try different things where people just pause and for two, three minutes turn around with twos and threes around there and just pray for each other as an act of worship and then re-engage in worship or read a scripture. I think there are ways and means um, to engage the people more actively in public worship. But obviously, the ideal is home church, because in home church, you have eight or ten people in a lounge weekly or biweekly, and to worship together requires everyone to participate. Uh, then to share and to gather around God's word and to sh open the word and share each other's lives and then to pray for each other and encourage each other. That is very much people participation. So for me, the ideal is discipling people by active, incremental participation in and through small groups. And then the gathering of the small groups in the bigger congregation limits active participation. Although, if we think creatively as pastors and leaders, we can draw people out even in the public service into more active engagement. So one last comment. Within the vineyard, as I've been um, with the vineyard since 1982, um, when it came to after the preaching, teaching time, I, I used to sometimes open it up for comment, if need be, or, or Q&A, to get some feedback and some participation, which was very unusual and could be controversial. Secondly, when we, had, when we prayed for people for different needs, I, I didn't do the praying up front as the man of God, but we invited people in the congregation to pray for one another around different needs. So we did it in different ways, but we tried to open up the environment from sitting, looking at the back of someone's head as a spectator to what's happening on the platform, to turning around and engaging people around, either through praying for each other, little discussions, small group discussion around the sermon, where I'll give two or three questions and say, okay, break up into small groups and discuss these two or three questions around what I've taught this morning. So there are creatively different ways to get people 
um, engaged even in a larger crowd context on a Sunday morning. So, my dear friend, I hope that that helps. No, it definitely <laughs> does. So, to end this interview, and it's really been fantastic, Alexander, would you mind closing in prayer for us? Can I ask you to do that? I'd be honored to do so. And again, Lance, thank you for this opportunity to, to be with you. Thank so, you. Lord Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, and especially head of your church, we honor you, we exalt you, and we lift you high. Because, Lord, you are the reason for our, our living. You are the reason for our believing and you are the reason, Lord, for, for the existence of church. And so we receive you, Jesus, by your outpoured Holy Spirit into your church, into our minds, our lives, our bodies, and local church. And please, Jesus, have your way. We give the church back to you. We hear you knocking at the door. And we go to the door and we open the door of the local church and we say, Jesus, we hear your voice. You are welcome. Come into this church, which is your church, bought with your blood. And Jesus, be in charge. Have your way. Do what you want to do with this church. Please, Lord, we need you. We need you more than we would ever realize. Your church needs you, Jesus. Come by your Holy Spirit and fill your church again, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Alexander, thank you for joining us today. And thank you for all the years for helping us to love and be in love with Jesus. And obviously you haven't stopped yet. You're very, very involved still. And thank, and you. thank you so much for being invo involved in the, this Captivated by Jesus series. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, oh, Alexander. It's my privilege. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pebbler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth is